Okay, man, are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just asking someone to take a picture of us oh, because, you know. Jose. I mean, I don't know, right? I mean, it's it's been a long time since we've done this. So I just want the moment documented, you know? Yeah. It right? may never happen again, bro. It might not. Yeah. It might not. <laughs> this is like a one-time only thing, yeah. Yeah, oh. so, so it's been great. Hey, so, man, I was thinking a little bit about uh, the message last night. And, you know, the thing that I was really challenged by is this idea that, you know, we're contending and yet we're for people, you know, like we're not against people, you know, but we're Absolutely. actually for people. Yes. But, but how it is that we can be for people while at the same time being crystal clear yeah. about some of the, the faulty and frankly diabolical worldviews yeah. that a person might hold. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, um, there's a lot of nuance to the things we talked about last night, and we, I talked to a few of you about that this morning. And, um, you know, my simple answer is I looked at Jesus and all those things. Um, he, uh, he did it, and he did it well. And so I think we looked in the way that Jesus um, turns questions to people, the way d- Jesus deciphers between uh, sort of who's diabolical and who is, uh, is sort of curiously seeking. And so um, I find a lot of those interactions in the book of John, and, and uh, there's some good stuff in there. Oh, Let's I'm look at him. Following Jesus. Yeah, hey, this morning as um, I pray for Lyle, I just want to say, um, you know, this morning, also, I talked with a few of you about just sort of the hours that you have already poured into engaging people who are not only leaning into some of those ideas, but are sort of sitting in them. And a lot of those hours that you're pouring out uh, to people like that uh, are hours that you're not potentially pouring into your marriage or into your family or tending to your own soul. And there is a tension and definitely a balance here. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about that. And I don't think there could be something more important to talk about, I think, in the life of a pastor and his family than how we tend to our own soul, our, our families uh, as a priority. So let's pray um, that as we open up God's word, God would open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see and understand. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts to, um, to see uh, where we may be lacking, where we can be built up. Lord, would you give us um, ears to hear you as you... Uh, maybe in a still small voice, um, like you're so gracious to do, would sort of prick our hearts and talk to us about the ways that um, that we can uh, shore up our marriage, or we can reinvest in our children, we can guard and protect and nurture and help them to flourish, even as we want to help your people to flourish in your church. Pray that you would um, speak through Lyle straight to us. Um, I like that word unction. It's that old word, a power um, that's not our own, and that you would grant it to Lyle in this moment. And uh, we ask it in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Yep. All right. Hey, um, so uh, as we get started, um, we're going to try to talk about the things that you guys want to talk about when it comes to marriage and family. And, uh, and so it was great because uh, yesterday, uh, you know, I shared with you, hey, fill out the cards, and, and I had my doubts but, uh, but you guys rallied, like at the 11th hour, you know, <laughs> some really good stuff came in. So thank you uh, so much for doing that. But, uh, but as we begin, I just think it's really important for us just to understand that, uh, that the Great Commission is not, you know, go and get married and have kids. That's not the Great Commission, guys. The Great Commission is we're to go into the world and make disciples, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And so I think that we need to keep that like really front and center, uh, really, as, as we start. That's really the deal. Uh, and I think it's really important for us just to understand that as uh, each one of us comes um, here to Hume, you know, with a different story, with a different family story, and uh, some of us are married and some of us are not, and some of us have kids and some of us don't have kids, and, and, but, but all of us are connected uh, somehow, some way, uh, you know, with a family. And so 
what we want to do, obviously, is just really touch down on, uh, on how it is that we can uh, just really find uh, just God's heart for us uh, in the different roles that we play in our, in our family lives, and we can just be at a really uh, good space. And so, so I, I just really could, uh, couldn't resist. I, I just wanted to show you just a couple pictures of our family, uh, Dan and I. Um, so um, this one's from a long time ago. Uh, and uh, th- this, is when, this is when matching polos, you know, for the kids was a thing. And, and I bet our kids were super stoked when we gave them their polos. They were probably really happy about that. And, uh, and Dana looks beautiful as she does today, but this was like the pre-church planning me. You know, it was out the wrinkles and the gray hair, you know, so, so then I planned the church and everything fall apart. Uh, so that, that's how that worked. And uh, this is a picture from last month. So this is last month. Uh, and last month here, we're on the beautiful island of Bali, and, uh, and our sons are all grown men, and they've got their wives, and we've got daughters now, which is awesome. And it's so good for Dana because, you know, for the longest time, Dana has lived in the world of men with all this burping and farting and all this stuff and just putting up with all this stuff. And now she has like, she has women in her life that she can just connect with and love. And so we love our daughter-in-laws. And, uh, and this was great, a celebration for my oldest son that was married uh, in Indonesia. And so we all flew out for this destination wedding at this fantastic uh, time. We spent the first week at the wedding and the second time surfing on the island of Bali. And so anyway, it was uh, fantastic. So as Matt mentioned to you, is that, uh, uh, today, as we uh, kind of move through this idea that we're contending, but we're also tending, is that we want to really lock in on, on this. We want to lock in on this whole idea of, uh, of, of what it's going to look like for us to keep this fight uh, from affecting our, our marriages and, and, our, and our families. That's, that's where we're headed uh, here. And in just a moment, we're going to go ahead and talk about what you want to talk about, but I want to just uh, uh, spend just a, a time in a couple verses in Scripture just to get us ready uh, for that. Now, uh, as you recall, yesterday uh, I shared with you that Barna survey where it said, you know, 43% of those in pastoral ministry are considering uh, leaving the ministry. And you might have recalled that one of the reasons, actually 29% of the people that said, hey, I think that's me, uh, said that really the driving primary reason was um, it, it was because of the, the way that uh, that. Uh, pastoring was affecting their marriage and family. It was having a diverse effect on it. Uh, so, so we talked about that. So, so whether uh, you know a person is uh, you know is thinking about leaving the, the pastorate and praying about that, or or they're remaining, really, I think our desire, whoever y'all is, all the same, is that we want we want fulfilling marriages, and we want kids to grow up uh, to be passionate. And, and full of, of, of strong character. I mean, you, you know, we want them to be godly men and women. We want this uh, for our kids that we have them. And so, so I'm trusting that the Word of God is going to inform us on how to get there. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Um, uh, what we're doing here is uh, jumping in uh, to Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians. And we know that, uh, that this is Paul's most cr- uh, Christocentric letter, right? And, and then we know is that Paul uh, uh, shares this pattern of so many of the letters that he writes where he just begins, you know, talking about theology and then he moves to practice, right? So he, he talks about, you know, the things that, uh, that we need to believe and then he talks about how it is that we practically set it into motion. You know, that's, that's just what he does. And so we know that in, uh, in the letter to the Colossians, uh, it follows the same pattern uh, where he does that. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he just begins to do a master class, 
on how it is that this truth from God is just to bleed into our lives. And, uh, and so we're going to take a look at, uh, at, at something he has to say uh, towards the end of that in chapter 3. And, and so let's go ahead and, uh, and let me read it for you. Uh, here it is on the screen. He says this. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. All right, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, simple instructions, but in the first century, this was radical stuff. Uh, Because, you see, life throughout the Roman Empire in the first century was marked by (laughs) all different kinds of things. I mean, it was marked by brutal violence. It was this violent culture. In fact, we know that violence was often used as a form of entertainment. People got off on it. Uh, We we, uh, know that that truth was this thing that that was a novelty back then. And and, uh, Jason was talking about that uh, in just a few moments uh, as we began about just the whole Hume uh, series that was done and the whole theme that was done uh, about truth. And and that we know that truth in the Roman Empire was not the currency, power was. Power was. And, and, and we n- knew that uh, in the first century is that, that people were enslaved, at least half the empire, some historians uh, believe, were enslaved. And we know it was a place of great poverty where people were just living you know, hand to mouth just to get by. And this all, I think, had an impact on uh, the families at that time is that the marriages at that time were not for love, but for advancement. And, and extramarital sex and sexual like, expression and practice in all forms was the, uh, it, it was the norm, not the exception. It was just a way of life. And then when it came to, to children, is that children were not so much people as they were objects, like, like pieces on a chessboard that you manipulated uh, or, or even killed, is that we know that it was a common practice back at those times is that when uh, uh, the child was given birth and the child was unwanted is that they were exposed, right? That they were left on trash heaps or back alleys um, to, to either die or to be taken up by nefarious individuals that had evil purposes uh, for these children. Often children that were deformed and often children that were little girls that this took place and, and this happened to. And so into this culture, into this culture is that there emerged a new way to do family. Uh, a, a way that, that would go into the culture. And by the way, you know when we say the word cultural, you know what we, you know what we mean? We mean, hey, just the way, things, the, the way we do things around here. What's normal? And so, so this new way to do family became a disruptor of the norm. It became a disruptor of the norm. They did family differently. Now, we're going to want to talk about these roles here, but, but as we do, as we talk about these roles and the unique roles, is that I think that we need to get a panoramic view of Scripture. Uh, because as we take a look at, at Scripture in, in the wide range with uh, some of the things we're going to be talking about today is that, that, uh, that uh, we discover God's truth. So, so here's the thing. The, the, you see there's this word submission. So is, is submission just for wives? No, submission's for everyone. Scripture says submission is for everyone. Is, is uh, to love just for husbands? No. L- loving is for everyone. Jesus says, a new command that I give you, love one another. That's for everyone. Is obedience just for children? No, obedience is for everyone. 
is, is uh, expressing kindness, not, not embittering uh, someone, but uh, the uh, flip side of that expressing kindness, is that just for dads? No, no, we're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another for just in Christ, God forgave you. All right, so, so we just need to understand is that these things are for all of us, but, but let's go ahead and, uh, and just take a moment and to, to see how it is that Paul connects these things to, to the individual roles within the families. He says, wives submit, wives submit, and, and, and this is where you know, people just roll their eyes, right? It's like, oh, great, you know? It's, it's where people begin to think, see, I knew it, Christianity denigrates women. It's where people just go, this is completely absurd because everybody knows that women are just as competent as men, and that's true. That's true, but, but now we know this. We know this, that this, this word submit, we know that it's a military term, right? It's this term, hupotasso, you preached on it. It's this idea of, of arranging under or to fall under the protection of. It's a word that speaks of structure, structure, structure. And, and you know what? Uh, uh, wives, this is going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take some sacrifice, but let's compare it to the husband's role, all right? Husbands are to love. They're to love. Paul says in a parallel passions in Ephesians is that they're to love how? As Christ loves the church, right? As Christ loves the church. So how did Christ love the church? Oh, only by dying on the cross for her. Only by giving himself naked and bleeding to suffer for her. Only by putting his needs above, uh, her needs above his own. Only by sacrificing everything for her yeah yeah so, so that means that means that as a husband is that i am called to pour out myself for my wife 24 7 365 and, and then there's the kids the kids are called to obey amen <laughs> your parents said yeah this is so great but, you know, that obey thing, man, you know, we don't like that word. You know, it's like, what is that really all about? Well, I, I really think that in a, in a parenting journey, as we're working with our kids, with this whole obedience thing, is that, you know what obedience is really connected to? It's really connected strongly to discipline. Because, you see, obedience requires discipline, and discipline is the bedrock of a fulfilling life. And, and we know this, we know this, and, and we know the dreams that we have for our kids, right? And, and, and our kids' dreams that they have for themselves, if, if, if our kids want to become uh, uh, a, a doctor or an Olympic athlete or they want to practice law or they want to be a pastor or, or they want to, um, uh, to just to do any sort of pursuit like that, maybe a scientist, is that we know, parents, is that we know is that, that that's going to require discipline. That's going to require discipline, and discipline is often learned by obedience. And, and then, there's, then there's the extra credit one, all right? The extra credit one, number four, is that the dads are warned, dads are warned, and, and not moms, because moms are just more pure-hearted than dads, right? Is that dads are warned not to spin their kids out. And, and, and we know to the Ephesians is that Paul uh, says uh, not to embitter your children, but he says don't exasperate their children. But, but really, the meaning of those things are the same. It's, it's this idea of, of not irritating them through perpetual fault-finding. And this was the new way. This was a countercultural way uh, to move family. And, and so once upon a time, in this dark period that was the first century, is that families got healthy 
because wives submitted and husbands loved and children obeyed and dads didn't act like jerks. And, and families, Christian families became like the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They became the disruptors of the norm, as it can be in the 21st century, in this century. But, you know, this marriage and family thing, it's a lot more art and science, isn't it? And so, so what we want to do is, uh, is gather up a collection of artists here uh, that are going to come up on the stage, and we're going to join together in a conversation um, that you initiated about marriage and family through those cards. And so we're going to go ahead and have uh, Matt uh, jump up and Kurt and Rhonda. Dan's going to go ahead and, uh, and lead us through in a discussion uh, about marriage and family and parenting and such. So let's go ahead and fire it up here. You guys want to go ahead and grab these chairs fast? Okay. Which ones are we going to use? Because we've got to decide. Oh, you want to go stools? Okay. We're going to go ahead and go stools then. Quickly, quickly. One, two, three, four. I'm going to take the little guy's stool. Yeah. Dana in the middle? Okay. Yeah, we got a mic or two. Is there a second handheld somewhere? Is this already on? Okay, it's on. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, you're going to run it up, Jason. All right. Ooh, lights up here. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, we thought it would be great to have um, a little bit of discussion about marriage and family and just kind of generated from you all. But also we added some questions that we, we hear often. Um, as well as um, people just kind of wanting to know navigating marriage and family in the context of ministry is sometimes challenging, and it's hard to really talk to other people about it that haven't actually been in that experience. It is unique. Um, and so uh, we're just going to throw out some questions to um, each other and panel, and we'll just kind of see. And if we've got some time, th you, there may be something on your heart that you didn't throw down on a card that you're like, hey, how about could you add to that somewhere? So our first question is... Um, and I'm going to expand it a little, little bit, but it's how do you balance sharing personal family details to connect with church, the church community while knowing that the entire world could possibly hear this um, on, uh, on the internet live stream, not only today, but forever and ever, um, because it, it goes on. But also, I think it's not only the things that go live, but even if you are sitting around you know, with a small group and you want to connect with them, how much do you as pastors and leaders of the church open up and share, and um, so we're going to just talk a little bit about that, and we'll start with um, Kurt. Well, that's me. Yeah, that's you. That's me. Great. Um, you know, I think we have to be really, really careful with that uh, as, we, as we step into it. One of the things that I think is really important in a culture that uh, victimization and authenticity uh, go hand in hand, in fact, uh, sometimes we see them as parallel, I think it's really important that we not enter into that idea of of being able to victimize our family uh, at the hope of being authentic uh, and, and, and to be able to expose some things about our family in that way. So I think we, ha we have to be really careful. I think we need to have some guidelines, uh, even within the family, things that you as a couple have talked about. Hey, what do we feel safe about being shared 
uh, in public, uh, and especially in public in a broadcast kind of way, as, as you're talking about. And then the older your kids get, that they, for them to enter into that conversation, I think becomes very, very important as well. Uh, what what do you guys feel comfortable with? We, we were laughing because often we would we would all have used that idea that we would say one of our kids said this, you know, and it was like everybody in the audience is going, well, what was that Garrett or Graham or Anna? Or, you know, who, you know who, who was that? And they're trying to guess which one of your kids that is. Uh, th there's ways to protect them, but probably the best way is to have a family standard that you begin with at least. And, uh, and that begins with you as husband, wife, mom, and dad. What do we feel safe being able to share? Because, again, our congregation wants and needs to know that we are real. Uh, but at the same time, what, what expense uh, are we willing to pay? And w w we have to be careful not to be placing our kids, our spouse, or our family in that place of saying, hey, listen, we're victims. Uh, and, and, and that victimization concept that's how we show that our, our authenticity. Authenticity is really the idea of authenticating that which is real. It begins with what is real, and then it moves to the idea of how do we share what is real uh, about who we are and, in a way that is authentic. So I, I think that's a picture that, that we always try to keep in mind and, and, and to run that way. Yeah, don't look at me, Kurt, because I was terrible at this. My kids came to me at one point and said, Dad, says, don't talk to us anymore about uh, uh, don't talk about us anymore from the pulpit, and, and that was, like, not great. So I was in the doghouse, man. The only thing I would have to add is that I get in trouble when I don't write things down. So what I mean is, like, when I make a joke from the, the pulpit that's not in my notes and it's just extemporaneous, I could get in trouble I could, a little bit, right? And so, like, the same goes with my family. If I'm extemporaneous about it and I haven't asked them, Look, you have time to plan your sermon. You shouldn't be doing it on Saturday anyway, right? So, like, I got time to plan. I can pull Luke aside or whoever side and say, hey, I thought this fit. Would you mind if I shared this? And so I, I always ask my kids. And the time I get in trouble with them, like, Lyle, like, don't do that again is when I, when I don't, when it's just extemporaneous. I would avoid that. All right. Next question is, as a pastor, uh, how do you find healthy friends outside of your church? I'll, I'll add pastor and pastor's wives as well. Um, and is it important to um, find friends outside of the church? That's me. Um, oh. I think it's extremely important. Um, where I would start was with historic friendships. Uh, I was telling Lyle, um, there's a guy, Greg Shaw, and uh, matter of fact, Pete emailed me yesterday and said, I wish I was up there with you and Lyle. But the crew that I ran with in high school, like, I'm still good friends with them. And uh, one of the guys, we play golf every month or every six weeks or so together. And so we get out doing something we love, and we spend time with each other. But he's a lifelong friend. I can count those friends on my hand. And when I needed friends again, um, uh, yeah, when I needed friends again, and when I needed to be a better friend again, and I needed better friends again, I went back to some of my historic friendships and just said, hey, I don't know why we haven't hung out more, but I, <laughs> I need you to be my friend again like the way you were back then. And it was like instantaneous, of course. We just picked up where we left off. So, yes, I think friends outside of the church is uber important. And, two, I would start with historic friendships. I'd go back to them and rekindle them. Um, you don't need all the time to build all the equity, you know. You have it already. So that's what I did. I went back to a couple friends. One lives here locally, or two live here locally. One lives across the country. And, um, and, and we talk all the time. Yeah, Matt, for me, um, historic friendships have been hard. Uh, I had great friends when I was uh, in high school and college, but uh, many of them have moved away or, you know, uh, moved out of my life. And so uh, 
a lot of the friendships that I've forged have been friendships that have uh, been focused, uh, one, on, uh, on, on just shared interests. So, um, so I've got my, my surfing friends, my mountain biking buddies, um, some of these guys that were able to, uh, to do something together, sometimes especially with men, and it might be different for women, is that uh, shared activity is, is like, that's, that's a really important thing and really opens things up and allows uh, for a lot of help. I would also say that one of the things that I try to do is to balance, I've got great friendships within our church community, but I've also been really mindful about having um, some friendships that are guys that don't go to my church because um, these guys uh, have been really helpful to me because may, there are some things that maybe I can share with them that I'm kind of processing some, fr- some frustration or angst about the church that these guys can kind of hold on to, and, and I, I know that will be key. The other thing, I think, is also uh, taking an assessment of just uh, uh, you know how, uh, the types of friendships that I have um, in, in the kind of the different life stages is that I want to make sure that I've got friendships of, of uh, people that are beyond me who are my mentors, and, uh, and that's a... As I get older, that's a lot smaller pool because many of them are dead or dying, you know, so that's tough. And then there are these, uh, uh, so there's the ones that are uh, 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 beyond me. There are the guys that are beside me that are peer mentors, the guys that are in my peer group, making sure that I've got those guys. And then there are the ones that are behind me, right? You know, the younger men that I'm also investing with and being able to develop friendships with them as well. So I would just say that, uh, man, it's just been a lifeblood for me. If, uh, if there's a, um, an, uh, kind of a factor that has contributed to longevity for me in ministry, I think one of the real key factors is I've got really, really good friends. Thanks, Bob. I just wanted to add, because I don't know whether it was a man or a woman that asked that question, but um, a recent study at Harvard showed that as, uh, as is detrimental to a woman not to have friends as smoking. <laughs> and I think as a pastor's wife, um, sometimes we get hurt in uh, friendship and in, in the church, and we withdraw. And um, that's so detrimental to you. And I just want to encourage you, reach beyond people in your church to have friendships because we women you know, we need friends, and um, so that's just a little exhortation that I've realized. Well, I just want to say, as Ron is saying that, you know, Dana's sitting here, and I just want you all to know, you know, Dana and Lyle work with Standing Stone Ministries, and and they help coach and walk with pastors and their wives. Um, We have the same thing at Restore. My wife, Dina, leads a wives initiative, and so if you're looking for a friend who's also, like, like like-minded and a colleague in some way who would understand, um, Dana would understand, uh, Rhonda would understand, my wife Dina would understand. If you would like to reach out to someone who can walk with you and become your friend as a pastor's wife, um, that's available to you. So I just didn't just want to take a moment for a commercial. I thought it was a shameless plug. Yes. Yeah, it is very important. Not everybody understands the unique position of pastors and wives and that, that experience. And and it's hard to entrust that to some people. It's actually sometimes too much of a burden. So it is important kind of who, who, who can I trust in the, in, with this kind of information. So uh, a next, next question is, is the concept of opposites attract a good thing or a recipe for disaster? Rhonda, you look like you're... Yes, I'm ready to answer that. So um, <laughs> the, uh, because you all know we're opposites. That's why you're all laughing. But... Um, Actually, the vast majority of couples are opposites, Um, and that is actually a good recipe. I mean, if it's super diverse, it's more difficult 
than if you're not as diverse, but uh, it is the vast majority of us are in that position to one degree or another. And um, it's actually by design. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful thing because if we were the same, it would be so boring and we wouldn't grow. God's purpose in marriage is not happiness as our culture tells us it is. <laughs> it is for our, t our um, character to become more like Christ. And so in the partnership of two people that are very different, we actually grow, and that's God's design and his purpose, and it's beautiful. And after 45 years, you know, I can just attest to how God has chipped away at some things in my life and in Kurt's life that have made us more like Christ. And that's what we, we got in for, you know. We didn't know it, and some people say, you know, we have a lot of couples come to us and say, you know, I'm just not happy. And I think God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? <laughs> so we want to get out of this because we're just not happy. Well, that's not the purpose of marriage. And so that needs to be corrected in our mind. And even the idea of difference and the struggle that difference produces in us is a good thing. And so how can I embrace Kurt's difference? And how can he embrace my difference and see God's purpose in, in that? And the scripture in, in Proverbs tells us, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We can say one man and woman sharpen one another. And that is so true. We sharpen each other by the, the fact that we are different and we have to learn how to go forward. We have a saying, and we use this often, is how do we win as a couple? Not how do I win? How do I look good in this situation? Or how does Kurt look good in this situation, but how do we win as a couple? I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind, particularly as pastors and leaders in the church, is to reframe that terminology. I wish we could get rid of opposites attract. If, you, if opposites attract, what is the verb of that? Opposing. And the idea that men and women temperaments are not opposing one another in marriage, in family, in the church that we are binary in our relationship. That's a word that's been stolen and made, makes us all kind of shake a little bit. But the binary union of marriage is what it is all about. It is the idea of the complements that come together throughout uh, the development, the creation of marriage from the very beginning. It is in, in the, the binary framework of creation. Sun, moon, night, day, sea, dry land, all of these binary relationships until finally it's man-woman. And what is it? That is not man-woman, God shall give him one who opposes him in marriage. No, one who, what? Corresponds to him. That idea of correspondence is what it is all about because the purpose of God bringing all of that together and culminating in the marriage relationship, the corresponding binary union of man and woman is God has a picture to reveal, and that's a picture of who he is as a trinary union in the Trinity. And so let's get rid of the opposites attract. Let's talk about binary and corresponding and begin to move in that direction. Even in the passage that Lyle talked about, we as Westerners are focused on the individual part of that. 
What is your responsibility and what is my responsibility? What should you do as a woman and what should I do as, as a man, as a husband, as a wife? If you go back just a couple of verses, and the same is true in the Ephesians uh, passage that talks about marriage, it's all about union. It is not about, it's not a hierarchical chart. It's not qualifications for the job or uh, job description. It is the idea of how do you come together. And you come together, as Lyle said, in that submission to one another, fulfilling the image of Christ. Get rid of opposition. Binary corresponding union. Should we drop the mic now? No, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I, it's been it's been twenty years since I've been, been had the freedom to just preach, and so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that 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 important oneness that we all um, are seeking. Um, so here's here's one, uh, Lyle. What are some marriage family benefits to actually being in ministry? We tend to find all the things that um, it takes away from, but what are some of the benefits? Yeah. So uh, there's that whole idea that kind of floats around in church world that just says, oh, you know what, just being a pastor's family is just being, it's awful, you know, it's awful for marriage, it's awful for kids, uh, you know, it's just going to be a grind, it's going to be horrible. Um, uh, we had a seminary professor um, that some of us knew in common, it was a guy, uh, by the way, I was, I was a solid B- minus student in seminary, you could tell Kirk got better grades. Um, <laughs> I barely got into seminary. <laughs> He went to Dallas, I went to Talbot, so enough said um, <laughs> with that. But uh, this guy, he was brilliant. His, uh, his name was uh, Jim Conway. He wrote a book called Men in Midlife Crisis. And I remember he pulled us together as a, as a class and he said, hey, he said, make sure that, uh, that you just cast this beautiful vision for your kids that being in a, in a pastor's family is a great place to be. And there's actually some really, really good benefits to that. And I know for, for, for us, growing up with our boys, is one of the things that we just kept telling them is just like, isn't it great that dad's a pastor? Isn't it great that dad's a pastor? Because you know what? He can show up at your soccer practice and watch you play your soccer practice. Isn't Because he's got the flexibility to do that. We would uh, go away on uh, trips, you know, like midweek. You know, we'd take him out of school. And we'd be driving, you know, out of town on a Sunday night where everybody, all the weekend warriors were driving in. And they were in traffic and gridlock. And we'd say, kids, look at the people in traffic. You know, they've got nine to five jobs. We're a pastor's family. We can go and, you know, we can go and. We can, you know, go, we can go snowboarding on a Tuesday. We can go snowboarding on a Tuesday. There'll be nobody around. Be first tracks on chair five, you know. And, and our kids were like, yeah, we can do that. So we just kept casting that vision and, uh, and, and continue to do that. Um, yeah, there's tough things about uh, being in a, a family ministry. But. The, but we just wanted to keep in front of them that there are actually a lot of really good uh, benefits and blessings. So there's that thing. And then the other thing is just our, our kids just recognize that together we were on mission. And, it, and I think that it, for them that meant that their kind of role in our family actually meant something. Is that we're working together on something. And, uh, and I think that was, that's, that was powerful for our kids. We never had to like twist our kids' arm to go to church. I don't think once. I don't think we ever told our kids, you have to go to church. They just went. And I think they did because they just said, hey, we're all in this thing together and we're doing something important. We're doing it together. So, yeah. All right. Um, so here's one. Uh, so what if you married uh, young? Maybe it was a time in our, your life you didn't uh, 
you know, understand everything that was going on. Um, but uh, you found yourself drifting apart. You found yourself, um, maybe that would be the person that I chose now, but now what happens now? What happens in, um, in our lives now that we um, are, are looking back and, and now wonder, uh, what do we do from here forward? Got that, Kurt? So I realized uh, last night that we've spent the whole weekend together as uh, a bunch of pastors and speakers and thinkers, and I don't think there's been a C.S. Lewis quote yet. Uh, so, uh, Got so, one? I, so I thought we needed to get there. I, I, we mentioned that our son is, a, is an Orthodox priest, and we have all kinds of debates over iconography and everything. And he said, well, you know, the Protestant church has their icons and saints, too. Look at C.S. Lewis and, you know, lots of others. So, uh, But one of the things that Lewis talks about, and uh, we find it both in the Chronicles of Narnia, and then you find it uh, illustrated in The Great Divorce, and that is the call of Aslan to come further up and further in. To you, you, you've, you've started on the plains in the, in the Great Divorce. Come on up into the highlands. And the plains, uh, as, as the... Uh, as you begin moving through the, uh, towards Narnia, the idea is to come deeper or higher up and deeper in. Come to the deeper things. That's what this idea is when we enter into marriage. I mean, we, we, start, <laughs> we start marriage by basically uh, being drunk in love for the most part. I mean, this, this chemistry that draws us into each other, and it's like, hey, I, I want everything I can have to be one with you uh, emotionally, psychologically, sexually. Every, I, I just want to be with you. And, and that kind of lowers our inhibitions. And then we commit to each other in our vows, and then that gives us now the security to go further up and further in. And so that becomes the call. If that's a question that, that you're asking, one, boy, that's a personal question. And, and my heart goes out to you, just at that place to be in your marriage and just going, okay, this is, this is really hard. This is harder than anybody ever told me about. And so what do I do now? And, and that really is the call of, Go further up and further in. Begin pursuing that. Find the safety that you have in that relationship. As Lyle took great preaching this morning and talked about what that looks like in your relationship, talking about that. You know, you can talk about uh, our, our seminar, the, the Dreaming Together, the Great Adventure, um, the perspective of the idea that we are called further up and further in, and marriage is calling us that way in, in that sense of intimacy. Take the risk. Because the safe ground is staying down below in the lowlands. You're called by Aslan into the high country, further up, further in. Look for it. And again, as, uh, as Matt said, you know what? If you need help in it, now's the time to get it. You're the safe place. There, there is a, a plethora of folks for you to talk to uh, here on the stage and, and, and in this building. Uh, if that doesn't work, find the place and find the people who will help you to go further up, further in. Thank you, Kurt. Um, this might be several of us that share. So basically, in general, how do you protect your marriage and full-time ministry? There's a lot of demands. There's a lot of things that are coming at you. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on your marriage. So how do you um, protect your marriage? <laughs> I'm ready. Um, uh, for, for Dean and I, it's just been, this is, you know this is prioritization is prioritizing your relationship um that's changed for us in different seasons let's give you one quick example um dean and i just got kept a regular kept a regular date night maybe that's something you all do 
And there was a season where, like, we, we had, it had been like a few months, and we're like, why are we, we haven't been on a date. And I was on a run one morning, and I was like, Lord, what do I do about this? And, you know, I was starting to sense some distance between us. And, um, and the Lord just gave me this idea on my run. It's like, let's just change it up. I, I need to be attentive to, like, what it means to prioritize my marriage in that, in that season. And I can't remember all the reasons, but we started these prayer walks uh, on Fridays, and then we started them Fridays and Mondays, uh, Fridays and Wednesdays. And then basically we had just had times to decide, like, you know, I am never – I'm never booking that time. I'm always walking with you. So we had a four-mile walk. It took us about, an, you know, an hour, 50 minutes. Dina's got long legs. She moves fast. She's like a speed walker. So I got these little things. I'm trying to keep up with her. And um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, we, it takes about 50 minutes. We walk. We talk. We pray with our eyes open. We'll be in a conversation. One else will say, hey, Lord, we'll just start praying about this and this and that. Um, it's just the priority of that time. So that's the way we protected our marriage is saying we have to protect a certain time where literally – Unless someone is in the hospital or going to the hospital or it's life-threatening, like, we're not, I don't care what it is. There was a guy in my church that his wife liked tea, and they had tea time on Thursday. And he's the guy that inspired me. It's like, he's like, I don't really like tea, but I'm sitting down with my wife for an hour, now 90 minutes every Thursday, and we have her little tea glasses, and we do the tea. And so I would just say, pick a time that's protected. Do not ever, it's like, do not ever plan anything else. Prioritize it. Uh, I would say that we had um, a unique situation that we had a chronically ill child who we couldn't live uh, leave with just anybody. It needed to be somebody that could actually handle uh, an emergency. And we had learning disability in the family, so that there was a lot of tutoring that went on. And so we didn't have a lot of extra space. So we created a little oasis in our backyard, and it was Adirondack chairs, and, and we love Hawaii, so we planted tropical plants and we would end our day out there because we had eight years between our oldest and our youngest so the bedtime routine was different with different people and people needed different things and uh, it was just our routine so having a routine and kind of a, a ritual that is yours um, and I think that's what you're talking about and but if you don't have a lot of finances how do you do that and that was one of the ways we got around that. And I would say the other thing is that um, we built, we worked very hard to have emotional safety with one another so that we didn't let things build up um, so that we could talk freely with one another. If I felt like Kurt was um, just too busy and things were falling through the cracks at home, there was a safety that I could say that in a way that, you know, rules of engagement <laughs> that he could receive and um, the same way uh, in my direction. So we worked very hard to have emotional safety. All right, here's another question. It says, how do you protect your kids from broken relationships when folks leave? All of us have this experience when, um, uh, uh, you know, people leave for one, re one reason or another, sometimes um, uh, not good. Um, one of the things that we, that I, I know that we experienced a lot um, uh, was people just deciding that that the church wasn't for them anymore and how, you know, that challenging conversation. And depending on the age of your kids, it's, you know, it, it, it depends on what you can do. But um, one of the things that I know that we did is try to protect the relationships that were our kids' relationships. If they still wanted to see their friends and they still wanted to hang out with them, that we would be able to help still connect them together even if there was differences. And, and also always just really kind of thinking, Big C church instead of little C church. 
like, um, and just encouraging people if God is calling them or doing something else with them is that, you know what, we can, uh, we can still maintain relationships even though sometimes it was difficult because it was a lot of times taken personally. But a lot of times we would just really encourage and, and facilitate our kids to maintain those friendships. Um, sometimes that couldn't happen, and sometimes that's when you just you communicate, communicate that whole idea that people come in our lives for a reason, a season, you know, or for a lifetime, and sometimes just explaining to them, sometimes this, uh, that was the season, it was really great, wasn't that fun to get to know them. And so I think sometimes just uh, the communication and even believing that your kids can understand some things uh, through, um, through communicating with them I think is, is really important. Anyone else have anything for that? When we talked about this earlier, I talked about preemptive conversations and believing that your kids can handle these things. So for me, I would see those symptoms. You see them, right? Like so-and-so hasn't been to church in a while. His wife hasn't been coming to group. Like what's going on? You know, they emailed something. I mean, you, you see the signs, right? You know, you know the drill. And so you see it coming. I would often take, often, it didn't happen that often, but often enough, I guess, I would take a preemptive conversation. So just around the dinner table, or for us, Saturday mornings was a sacred time where we had pancakes and bacon and big breakfast, and we always did a devotional, and then, you know, I'd say, hey, something else, just so you know. And I'd casually just say, you know, you know, in the midst of the church, like, there's some really great things, and sometimes there's hard things, and people come and people go, and we live in a city that's kind of transient, and I would sort of set the table and let them know, like, this is, basically, this is coming, like, this is going to happen. And just kind of walk them through really simply, like, how to, how to handle that when it does. So we try to take, like, a little preemptive approach. Um, so if you see the signs and you know it's coming, like, let your kids know, in a sense. Give them a heads up. It kind of softens the blow. That's just, a, I think, a super practical thing. But that was helpful for us. Yeah, I think one of the elements, too, is uh, deal with your own stuff. Uh, deal with your own hurt in it. I, I mean, we're a, we're a room of hurting people because we deal with hurting people and hurting people hurt people. And and when you get hurt, um, it's not the pastor's job to just suck it up and go on. You know, and that's why, again, I'm going to go back to where, where Matt uh, was talking about with uh, Restore and Standing Stone Ministries. Um, there, Those are not the only places, but there are places to go that say, hey, listen, there, there, there is an answer to who shepherds the shepherd. And, and find that. Find a mentor, somebody that you can ha go to w seeking that sense of safety that says, yeah, this is, this is the hurt that we're dealing with because it will come out in your family. If, if you're not dealing with it, it, it will come out at some point. Uh, you may not tell your kids about the jerk in the church who calls himself an elder, uh, but... <laughs> But it'll show on your it'll show on your face. It'll come out. It'll come out in a slammed door. It'll come out in some way. So deal with your own stuff at the same time that you're working to protect your family. That's great. Um, do we have time for one more question, Jason? What's our hard stop? It's like right now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> so, right. um, ac actually, so we're going to actually kind of wind out. I, I want to give just each uh, of us a chance to maybe spend thirty seconds, a minute, on just sharing what we think is kind of like the best. Um, bit of advice for marriage and or family um, for ministry couples. You want to start, Lyle? Um, yeah, I, I guess this is a theme for, for us, and, uh, and we talk a lot about the couples that we work with. Um, we're really kind of into teaching our couples that we mentor just how to find uh, something that they can do together that they enjoy. 
Um, so there are some certain things that... Pickleball? That, yeah, pickleball. Uh, <laughs> there are certain things that, that I do that Danny's like, hey, you go do that with the guys. And there are certain things like, hey, you go do that with the girls. But, but Danny and I have, uh, have just been really focused on helping couples just find something that they can do just to enjoy and, and play together um, and, and finding that, uh, that that brings health to their marriage. So that's it. Yeah, I think I already did mine. I, I think it's the, the, the mentor thing, and, you know, finding someone, find a, sh find a shepherd for your soul. And, uh, and, and you can be that for each other, but a, a mentor, the, I mean, the model of Scripture is so powerful when, when you look at uh, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, Timothy, you know, John Mark. You look at those guys, there, there is a strong pattern of mentorship somewhere that is safe, somewhere that says you've been down the road, you understand me, uh, you understand what I'm doing, help. I just feel compelled to share this uh, for somebody. I don't know who it is, but um, I've been hurt in ministry. And my observation in uh, that process of, of various years, you know, that we've been in ministry since we met in ministry and been for the last 45 years contiguously in ministry, um, is that people get hurt, and then they hurt other people, as Kurt said just a few minutes ago. And the reaction is to withdraw. And the message God gave me in these situ situations, as I observed the person who was, you know, sending those arrows my way, was that they did not deal with their hurt. And so because they didn't he deal with their hurt, they passed it on to the next person. And I could be in that position also. And God just kind of said, to whispered to me, Rhonda, if you aren't willing to be hurt, I can't use you. Mm. And I want to use you. You have something to offer. And um, so, you know, think about that. Think about that. Will you step in with me again and be hurt for my sake? And so I just feel I need to share that for somebody in this room. The most helpful thing for us has been um, we do an ideal year exercise. So it's actually coming up next month in October. We usually do it October, November. It's a three-hour dinner where we go to a nice restaurant. Um, I like North Italia because they have homemade pasta, and that's, that's the best. So we go there. We tell the waiter, hey, we're going to be here for three hours. I have an iPad. Dina has a Mary Inglebright calendar. Any, any of you ladies? Um, so that's her yes. yearly ritual. Yeah, she finds a new Mary Inglebright, and then, then I have my I iPad, no and no we, we say we're going to tip you well, we're going to be here for three hours, and we basically plan our entire year. I can show you how to do it really easy with a clock uh, sort of analogy, and we, we prioritize our family things first, and then we put, like, important things in the calendar, and then we put, like, days away and little weekends away, and then we put all the church stuff on the calendar. And by God's grace, we're in a position we can do that uh, today. Um, it wasn't always that way. But the ideal year thing is the best thing. And the best thing about that ideal year thing is we've got three weekends a year where we know we're going to get away somewhere and we bring our family. Uh, we, we take them away to have fun. Uh, being a pastor is awesome because there's so many opportunities to have fun. And we, we bring our family away. We love the beach, we love the desert, and we love the mountains. So we can go to the beach really easily, we can get to the desert pretty quick, and we can come to Hume Lake a couple times a year. And so we go to the beach, we go to the desert, we go to the mountains, and those things are on the calendar. Our kids know they're coming, and, uh, and our family gets that respite away. And so um, that's actually how Restore started. One weekend, we were away at a beautiful place my parents had, and I was in the pool reading a book on renewal, and God broke my heart for, for people that don't have that space. Uh, you need a sacred space, and we have a sacred space at the beach, 
in the desert at our place and up here at Hume Lake. And it's all in our ideal year calendar. Our family knows what the next year is going to look like. And we can lean into it together. So if you want to talk more about that, I'd love to do that. That's been the most helpful thing for us, the ideal year. Right. Thanks, Matt. Um, as I finish up here, you know, one of the things for me is just really just being fiercely loyal to your family. Protect your marriage. Do things monthly, yearly that invest in your marriage, whether it's a retreat or you're in a small group about marriage, whether you continue in date night. You, it is an investment um, that doesn't happen once and for all. It is an ongoing experience. You, there's so many different opportunities. This last couple years, Lyle and I have been involved in re-engage, and we've been married 38 years, and all of a sudden we're learning things about each other. And so there's just so many different opportunities, but don't let your marriage go on coast because it will go downhill. It won't naturally move uphill. You have to take some time to invest in that, and that will take money, and that will take time, and that will take energy. So just encourage you guys to do that. Um, and the other thing is do not sacrifice your kids on the altar of ministry. And that became very aware to us. We, we started out in youth ministry in a very large church. Many of the kids that were there were the pastor's kids. And we had lots of conversations with those pastor's kids and how challenging ministry was for them. And I swore that when we had kids, I would not sacrifice my kids on the altar of ministry. I would make the adjustments necessary that they would know that they they came first, that we were willing to sacrifice. I was willing to stay home. We wouldn't be out three nights a week. We wouldn't sacrifice the things they wanted to do for the things that we wanted to do. And I did not want my kids to be resentful to the church or to God and turn another way. And so just make those adjustments. And they're going to be different for different seasons. So nobody exactly can tell you, uh, you know, up here, but they're different for different seasons, and you just have to make the adjustments along the way. And that's why and it's great to have some other people around you that can encourage you and support you. And, and I know some of you have been meeting with Rhonda and um, Kurt this week. And I just want to know, I, you know, Matt and Lyle and I are also just, hey, we'll be out on the lawn this afternoon. Love to have conversations. Love to get your phone number, email, and just continue it, it on. And, um, and, you know, just the idea of marriage is that you aren't just doing it for yourself. You have, if you have children, your marriage is their primary example of what marriage is. And you think, do I want my kids to reduplicate what we have? If not, make the changes now. Other people watch us in the same thing. It's like, would I want everyone in our sphere to reduplicate what we have? It might be okay for you, but is it okay for everyone? And we're not perfect, but it's worth the investment to continue to move forward. So let's just take a moment to pray. Father, I just thank you so much for those in here that are just dedicated, Lord. God, just to serving you, and we know that, God, over and over again in Scripture, you use family, you use marriage, you use children as examples of what that looks like, God. And so we recognize, God, over that we are examples to that. Our marriage um, can't help but be an example to others, our family, our children. And it doesn't mean, God, that we're going to be perfect, but it means that, God, we want to continue to move the needle forward. We don't want to coast. We want to figure out, God, how to just continue to move up. And that means we're going to need people. We're going to need other supporters. We're going to need to be vulnerable. We're going to need to take a step back and two steps forward. I just pray, God, just for each person here and the relationships they have, God, that you would just, God, just pour yourself into them. God, um, help them recognize that there are um, opportunities and resources and tools and 
prayer and so many different ways, God, that we could flourish and not just survive. Because, God, I think that you want us to, um, to really thrive and show other people how to thrive. And so I just thank you in Jesus' name.